are you familiar with the nonprofit and what we're doing? And yeah, that you are um, highlighting uplifting female comics, LGBT comics, yeah, otherwise marginalized. Well, we're we're gonna give scholarships to oh, women in LGBTQ. Yeah, that's the main. We're gonna give mm. scholarships to them to cool. to take comedy and improv classes and um, find you know right now there's there's Christy Bukley in Denver I really want to mm-hmm. call, obviously for the female comedian female people but it's to help them overcome trauma um, even mm-hmm. if they don't end up being comedians or doing anything with it I totally think the process is good for women that have had trauma you know sexual assault mm-hmm. survivors domestic abuse survivors things like that just to get their confidence back to where they can hold their head up and look people in the eye again um if nothing yeah um so that's really you know and then we're going to work with troubled youth i do love i love the kids that do comedy now like lily oster <laughs> lily oh okay i've yeah. heard her name but i didn't know i haven't seen her or anything she's so funny and she's so um just already so dark and jaded for yeah 18 for being young i'll have she's to look at her then i love that stuff yeah because i i was always very um dark and sad as a youth yes. well wait I should I should sit and do this more properly that way I can tell you but I'm, I'm not whole origin story I wasn't dark I mean I was dark but I was uh I was just really stoned all the time I was, <laughs> yeah I, I like to party I like to hang out and have a good time. yeah I was definitely party girl and stuff too um hang on here I just, there we go you know, I didn't have a very hard life. I mean, we were poor. My parents, you know, I, I got to be a kid. I got to be a teenager. I got to do those things. Um, and so, you know, which, you know, some of them don't get to, they have to grow up much faster. I didn't have to do that. Um, I, I grew up fast by choice, which was stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did kind of grow up fast. And I think I... I think I wanted to also like I, I I think I I realized in more recent years that I had anxiety as a kid that just went I, I was unsupported for that my whole young life and I think sometimes it's just parents don't understand kind of stuff and and sometimes I think it's just dismissing a young girl's, you know, whininess or whatever as drama and, and all of that. But I remember, I mean, I would have stomach aches all the time and, and wouldn't want to eat. And then my mom would yell at me for not eating. And that, you know, it was, it was, there were so many little signs that I was a really anxious, worried, neurotically worried child. Um, I was just depressed. And yeah, even at 10, my mom, and I just had a talk about it the other night, like she didn't know that 10 year olds got depressed to mm-hmm. the point where they wanted to commit suicide. She didn't think that kids that young had those issues. And then when I was a teen and things started coming out, she was like, Oh, it's just puberty. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just normal teenage stuff. And I, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't open enough with her. I, if I had told her really mm-hmm. what I was thinking, I think she would have got me some help, but I, I I'm sure. Yeah. I didn't want to scare her. I didn't want to scare yeah. anybody. I just kept it all to myself. Nobody had any idea that I felt the way I felt because I just didn't want to bother anybody. I didn't want to yeah. scare them. So I just 
didn't yeah. do anything. I had that kind of people pleasing mentality too. And also, you know, my parents were dealing with their own stuff. My family was poor too. My dad was a firefighter and, you know, ex-military. And so he was strict and I just wanted to stay out of his crosshairs, you know? And so I think I felt like any kind of, um, needing it emotional neediness was something that I was going to get rejected for yeah so I did keep everything to myself and then at I kind of went through the rough early teenage years too and hormones and all of that compounded all those you know the the feeling misunderstood kind of feelings that you have when you're young um and then comedy came in when I was 15 because I yeah, I started doing improv. Um, I was involved in drama in high theater, <laughs> theater yeah. drama in high school and dance and stuff like that. So I was always really into performing and I really wanted to act. That was that was my focus. Yeah. And a friend of mine was doing a high school league uh, improv troupe thing with a local comedy club. And so she brought me to that one time and I loved it and wanted to keep doing it. And it, it was a more than teaching me about comedy. It taught me how to, you know, stand and be comfortable in my own skin and believe what I'm saying. Oh, and that's amazing. I didn't even know that about you. So like you can really attest to how this could help troubled you. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, as an aside, I would love to help oh, teach yeah. and stuff. If, if you have oh, any for that. Have troubled youth teachers. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I still very much am a troubled youth as a 33 year old woman. Yeah. I mean, and, um, you know, that being around adults who were, especially male adults who were supportive of me and accepting of who I am and didn't want anything from me and didn't have, you know, like it, it's so hard for teenage girls to, to, to find father figures basically that aren't you know trying to exploit them in some way yeah. and it was it was really good for me to have um adults guiding me into this thing that they were good at that I knew I could be good at too and just the just being able to play and and have have fantasy and imagination and stuff when you're because even at 15 you kind of have lost some of that already you know you're you're you came out of that phase of playing with your friends pr playing pretend play and playing with toys and all that stuff and then you go start doing improv and it's like it's all pretend scenarios and you get to use props and you get you know like whatever it's you're, you're playing and I think the value of that is bigger than learning how to be funny you know, it's, it's learning how to be, how to communicate, how to listen, um, how to respond. And, and that, that stayed with me forever. I only, I did improv for probably three or four years as a teenager. And then I was working and, you know, got, cause it does, it gets expensive if you're going to take classes and it's a huge time commitment and you have to practice with people all the time. Yeah. So I, I stopped doing creative stuff pretty much all together for a few years and you know I did photography I've, I've always been you know into art and and expressing myself with you know visually or, or however however I can and then after I had my daughter that was my focus 
And that was eight years ago. About five years ago, I all of a sudden was like, I think I want to do comedy. Like, I I think I want to try stand up because there were so many things that I was talking about with other moms um, and friends and whatever that were just like, oh my God, that's so funny. And like, oh my God, that's so true. And, and being able to talk honestly about being a mom wasn't really something that I was having a good experience with either. Cause so many moms are very more concerned about their image and looking like a great mom and making little bento box, peanut butter and jelly sushi lunches for their kids. And it's like, I'm not that. I was never that mom. I have four kids. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it gets harder with each kid to be that mom. Yeah. Well, and when I got pregnant too, I didn't know what I wanted. You know, I did, I didn't mean to get pregnant and I just sort of went with it. And so I ended up, you know, sort of taking the path of least resistance in trying to mitigate, you know, what my husband at the time was doing for work and what my daughter needed and in nowhere was what I wanted or needed or, or was not even what I wanted, but what was I useful for? You know, like, what am I, am I just useful for being a mom? You know, I, I always loved stand up. I always loved, you know, that whole, like being the center of attention in a room full of people is some, some people want that. (laughs) It's the thing that I didn't know I wanted yeah. I've always been a wallflower at parties um, for the most part. It was something that I didn't know I wanted. And then I went on stage and came off and was like, that's it. That's what I'm supposed yeah. to be And I have devoted, pretty much devoted my life to it since, uh, especially yeah. last year. I moved here. I got a tattoo. I uh, <laughs> tattoo says at least I got some good material. Oh, nice. I got that like six months in. So I was really, (laughs) you knew, I knew knew it was the one I'd been looking for my whole life. And now it's so great because it's mine and really nobody can take it from me. There's so much of it that is just in your power and control Yeah, that um, it's my thing and no one can take it from me except for, you know, coronavirus, but you know, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, um, global pandemic aside, usually I'm the only thing standing in my way. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know all that about you. And I'm so happy to be interviewing you because this is like, I didn't know how to get the youth angle. I didn't, you know, um, besides interviewing like Lily or somebody that did start in their teens, but that's amazing. That's great. I'm so glad for me, art of comedy started because like it is an art form. And so like for me, it's the the audience is my canvas and the jokes are my paint and the microphone is my paintbrush and so that's how like i see it in my head as an art form for me i don't know a whole lot about art actually <laughs> you need to watch bob ross i don't know <laughs> the, i don't know the art i love art I don't know yeah so yeah I'm um, sure you can analogize with it though <laughs> yeah so you 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 are into other art and so like what is your thoughts on the whole art of comedy, like it being an art form? I think it's like visual art in that, you know, you can't, nobody can say, here's the formula for making something funny. You know, people, you know, there's, there's the theory of tragedy plus time is comedy. There's uh, the idea that 
um, telling the truth is funny, but then there's also, you know, and I, and I like, I, I like comedy that tells the truth. Um, when, that's done well, that's funny, but just as much as that, I like comedy that's just nonsense, you know, that's just absurd, surreal, you know, for art for art's sake kind of stuff, you know, cause it's like, what can you, you I can tell you things that I've laughed at in the last few days, but I can't tell you why, you know, that why I laughed at that. It's the thing I saw stimulated a res neurological response in my brain that made a laugh come out of my mouth because something unexpected happened. And, and I think you can't define that any more than you can say, you know, well, there's, you know, real, realist oil paintings are, are beautiful because they are, they capture the, the real beauty of life. But then abstract paintings are beautiful because it's real life through a different lens, you know. And, and so I think the art of comedy is the mystery, I guess, of, of what makes people laugh and what it's the, it's con what people connect to from what you're saying. Yeah, as you kind of touched on it as a, as a, as a youth and what improv and comedy, mm -hmm. um, how it helped your life. Um, but just like as a, as a, cause I'm initially starting with women. So like mm -hmm. as a grown woman doing mm -hmm. comedy, what are your thoughts on the benefits of it, of, of overcoming traumatic experiences? What's that? You know, um, coming trauma and just, and, you know, life. overcoming trauma and, um, you know, the benefits of learning it, even if you don't do anything with it, you know, even if, mm -hmm. if you just take the classes. So I think for, with my, in my experience, you know, I started doing improv during an age when I, ex I experienced a lot of sexual assault from about 16 to 19, um, just in various you know, environments that I was in that were bad for me and, you know, in having bad, um, bad relationships, you know, sort of be the norm, you know, and not knowing any better. And I think the the effect of what starting comedy at that time or the effects of starting comedy at that time didn't really take hold for me until after many years after I came out of that struggle and I I very much compartmentalized and avoided all of the trauma that I had experienced in favor of just trying to live my life as a young woman and if you've lived with trauma for long enough you know that you can't run from that forever and at some point it comes out and it it might come out in the form of mental illness it might come out in the form of mysterious chronic pain that you can't get a solution for. Um, it, it might come out in repeating patterns of destructive relationships. And I was having all of that, you know, in my, into my twenties. And it, when I was, a, I guess I was like 26 or so, I finally acknowledged I had been raped. I had been abused and I needed to deal with it. And when I started doing comedy a few years later, 
I, I kind of sat down with my, when I started trying to give myself structured writing time, I sat down and started thinking like, well, what do I want to say? Like, I know I have some funny, some funny thoughts about, you know, motherhood and all of this, but what do I want to say? And what started coming out is I want to talk about sexual assault. I want to, I want to tell jokes about it. I want to talk about it in a way that doesn't make people pity me but a way that makes pe people who've never experienced it can look at me and go like, wow, you know, she's been through this thing and she's owning it and she's making it, you know, funny and making it about her, not about what happened to her. But then I also, for people who have been through it, I wanted people to go, oh, it's okay. You know, I, there's, there's a picture that we paint of trauma survivors in our culture and a lot of others that is once you're raped, it's like um, the law and order SVU post-rape interviews where it's like you're just a heap of flannel and blankets and you're crying and you cry all the time. And, and, and there's this impetus of like, well, you need to tell your story. You need to tell everyone what happened to you or you won't feel better. And that's not true. You don't, you don't need to talk about that stuff. You don't need to trot out, you know, your, your whole tragic story. And you certainly aren't you know, trauma survivors aren't reduced to the thing that happened to them. You know, this, this one event shaped a lot of my life, but it's not everything about who I am. The, the thing that really made me, this, the stuff that made me who I am is how I overcame all of that, how I dealt with it and continued to live a life after going through things that would destroy a lot of people, you know? Um, so I really felt a responsibility when I started writing for stand-up to my 16-year-old self. You know, I, I felt a responsibility to, to stop ignoring that girl and the things that she went through and to, to, to pick her up and, and proudly put out there, like, this is who I am, this is what I overcame, and not only is it okay for me to talk about it, it's okay for you to laugh about it, you yeah. know, and treating it as if it's something that's sacred that we should never talk about or something that's too upsetting to talk about, like that insults me. And that, I think that kind of shame mongering does way more damage to trauma survivors. You know, that whole, well, that, that's going to make people uncomfortable, you know, don't talk. Well, fuck you. I live with it. You know, yeah. like it makes you uncomfortable. This is, this is my life, you know? Yeah. I still, I still have not written any jokes about any of the, you know, various degrees of sexual assault I have experienced in my life. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them, you know, that at the time I would never have uh, labeled rape like when I was mm -hmm. 15, 16 years old and a 21 year old guy got me drunk and I sent it to sex under right. you know, a lot of vodka and I woke up in the morning and didn't remember anything. And I didn't mm -hmm. feel violated at the time. I felt regret mm -hmm. that it happened. I felt embarrassment because people mm -hmm. made shit about it. Like he was a very ugly, weird guy. And uh, mm -hmm. so like the next day, everyone was giving me shit about sleeping with dog face. And <laughs> that was his nickname. And so... <laughs> At the time, though, I didn't, I didn't really feel necessarily violated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did, but I didn't know how to process it or think about it as, as sexual assault, you know, and then as an adult, I now see how, how wrong that was and how he is yeah. criminal. 
And I'm sure I'm not the only girl he's done that to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so just things like that. Um, I think too is like a lot of people with the stigma of rape and sexual assault still think it's like you're walking down the alley and a stranger attacks you. Yep. Um, and that's the only way they're like sympathetic to you or, or, right. or you know, as long as you were dressed appropriately. Um, while sure, you're sure. Down that dark yes. alley, uh, <laughs> then they'll be sympathetic to you. Right. Um, otherwise they'll figure out a way that it was your fault. And yeah, like, immediately. Um, but I think that's more of a, I think that that really comes from fear because they want to see how it won't happen to them because they're right. not going to walk around in a minute. Right. They're not going to behave that way. So they're safe from rape because it's not, yeah. like, you know, and um, I think that's really where that comes from. And, you know, at least yeah. from females, because females do that really like, the, it's mm-hmm. not just men that are like, what were you wearing? Um, oh yeah. So I think yeah. it really comes from a place of fear for women that they just, they don't, they don't want to think that it can happen to them. And if they take mm-hmm. these steps and they do these things that they'll be safe. Um, yeah no one's safe so (laughs) and I really you know men have not even begun to we haven't begun to um touch the surface of men and their sexual assault survivals they you know yeah like we have no idea how many men have actually been sexually assaulted because they do not talk about it they Um, don't yeah well and when I I actually stopped doing rape jokes pretty quickly after I started because I, you know, as much as I really did want to push a bit and, and I, I am comfortable with making people uncomfortable. uh, I didn't feel like I was skilled enough with being, with making that stuff funny enough that I could hold up. And the other thing I started discovering was that I, you know, once you start writing, jokes about one thing when you're when you're developing as a stand-up comedian things just start coming all the time that weren't there before you know and so I started writing more about being a mom I started writing more about myself and you know whatever other funny observations I was finding and I was finding so much of that stuff was way better quality joke material than this thing that I had really, really wanted to talk about. And it's yeah. sort of like a, a murder your darlings kind of situation as a, as a writer where it's like, well, it's not selling. So I got to try, try something else. And um, that's really one thing I want to point out too, is I think with like the nonprofit and how like our mission statement is and things like that, it's not necessarily teaching people comedy and improv so that they can go up and make, jokes about that trauma necessarily they don't ever have to talk about the trauma right That's not the point right um but just you know even without talking about it in your jokes just just the process of getting up there and talking i think um can really help survivors uh, hold their head up and look people in the eye just to have mm-hmm. a job interview you know just to yeah self-worth again um, because it really, especially if you've been in like a chronic long-term abusive relationship, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's verbal or physical, um, you know, and it can happen to anyone because I feel like I have a fairly strong mind um, mm-hmm. um, that, so it it shocks me that I was with somebody for almost six years that was verbally abusive mm-hmm. and that tore, yeah. just tore me down to nothing. And that, that I, I, you know, I feel guilt because like I allowed that to happen, but it happens mm-hmm. so 
gradually. Um, yeah, that's how it happens. Yeah. That you don't even know you're in trouble until it's over. Mm-hmm. And then you're yeah. Like, oh my God. I've heard that kind of abuse compared to um, like a, a leaky pipe in your house or something, you know, that there's, there's a, a leak and one day you, you, you buy this new house and you're like, I love this house. And then one day you, you notice you're, there's some water on the floor and you're like, Oh, huh. And so like, you know, you wipe up the water and, and then the next day there's like an inch of water and you're like, okay, well this house isn't what I thought it was. And then you don't really, you, you just keep minimizing it until you're actually drowning, you know, and, and this thing that you, that you thought was going to be your, your castle, you know, and your, 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 your life, you know, husband, kids, house, whatever is totally not what you thought it was. And, and now you're, you're, you're trapped. Yeah. You're trapped. Yeah. Because people that do that have a way of trapping you. Yeah. Of, of slowly cutting you off from people of slowly Mm -hmm. making them your entire life of making you financially dependent on them. Um, yeah. And so it's like my trauma that started with, I had before comedy is that that person uh, that abused me for six years is now with my daughter and they're getting married in two days. Um, and so I have written jokes about that, but it's so unrelated, you know, it's my favorite material though. I love that I wrote those jokes. I never tell them. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I may never tell them again, but I'm just yeah. so proud that I was able to write them and find it funny. Yeah. And I felt like I, I overcame it by writing mm-hmm. the jokes, whether I use them or not ever again. Yeah. I haven't told those rape jokes in a few years. And I, I think I've, I've trotted them out uh, once in a while on a, not on a dare, but kind of like, you know, at an open mic where it's a little looser and casual and it's like, hey, does anybody want to hear dark stuff, you know, and, and just try them and see see how they wear a year later, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it is different every time. And because I'm different every time, because, you yeah. know, you grow and you change how you, how you, how you deliver jokes and all that stuff. You don't have to, you don't have to learn how to talk about your trauma. You just have to learn how to be yourself and how, and how to be, um, how to trust your own voice and what you're saying. And, and I think that, the way that stuff heals is is really major and and it you don't you don't have to directly address the thing that you went through to heal from it I think there's so many modalities of healing for that now where there's art therapy and movement therapy and and all of that stuff and it's not based in you know the who who would I I don't know what technique it is if it's like Freudian or whatever but where it's like close your eyes and take yourself back to the place where you were. And then we're going to think through it in a safe space. And it's like that kind of stuff. I think that with that light therapy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 They really take you into the trauma. Yeah. Delve deeply into it. Um, over, over and over and over. Right. And, and that's like the neural reprogramming in a very, I think like almost mechanical way. Cause it's, and I know, and I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. No, but I, read, but I read reading Adam Holland's book. Yeah, right. That's how I and, and so that kind of that retinal therapy that he talks about, um, I had looked into. Somebody recommended it to me for trauma recovery, especially when I was dealing with a lot of uh, 
bodily pain and fibromyalgia and stuff, which fibromyalgia, you know, doesn't have a known cause, but one of the biggest, um, you know, commonalities in people with fibromyalgia is a history of trauma and specifically sexual trauma. And uh, some of the theories are that it's just your brain has it has in some ways, depending on when it happened to you, restructured itself, um, or at least your, the chemicals in your brain are released in a different proportion than they would be had you not experienced that trauma. And so you, you, you're really fighting your body at that point. It's not, not the thoughts that you're having, not the, um, the psychological effects of what you went through, but your, your physical body is responding to trauma years and years later that, you know, that you had gone through um, in a way to let you know something's wrong, you know, because pain in the body is letting you know something is wrong and something needs attention. And if you neglect, so the theory is, if you neglect to pay attention to that, those traumatic events and give them, give yourself the space to process them, which is impossible in some cases, because the things that happen to us are, senseless and and you know it's like it's for people like you and I I can't imagine somebody or I can't imagine hurting someone in the way that I was hurt you know it just it wouldn't it it my body would reject that you know and so your your body rejects those feelings and and sort of makes them tangible with physical pain is the theory but neither here nor there, that mechanical method of rewiring the brain through the eyes, which are the end of the brain, is sometimes the answer for people. And I think there are, I just think there are not shortcuts, but just different ways to get to the brain, you know, that, that to, to try to mitigate some of those negative things that have developed. Yeah, I think that any at this point, yeah, they are trying more and more ways to uh, help people overcome trauma and women, you know, s- sexual assault survivors with painting and mm-hmm. yoga mm-hmm. and mindfulness and meditation mm-hmm. and all these things. Um, so I do, I do, I do think that, you know, teaching comedy and improv um, will maybe hopefully reach some people that those other things have not worked for yeah. um, because none of those things would have helped me. Right. None of that. That's talk. I tried talk therapy. If anything, it made me feel worse, you know, and and it just, and and that's not the case for everybody. Comedy has just helped me so much that Mm -hmm. I know it can help other people. And I know that, that that's kind of my focus is like, I really want to help other people, you know, the way that comedy has helped me. And if, you know, 1% of them actually go on to continue to do comedy and do well at it, that's fine. That's not the goal, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not doing a show, a free show at a brewery and gun barrel once a month to get famous. You know what I mean? Like I'm doing that because it makes people, especially women, when they see other women hosting shows and being powerful on stage and being funny, they see that and they go, I could do that. And they can do that. And they, they can do it exactly like how I did it. Just start doing it. Nobody, don't wait for permission. Don't wait for somebody to, to, to say that what they think what you have to say is important or funny. Just go do it and see how it feels. And every time I do a show and women come up to me afterwards and they're like, I, you know, I, you're so great. You're so funny. I love this. I've always thought about doing this, but I, I'm not sure. 
I just shower them with, here's my card. Here's my, here's yeah. my shoe you can go to, go to 5280.com. Look at all the open mics, go to one, just go watch. And then you'll want to sign up, you know, and, and, or groups of girls will come up to you after show and they'll be like, she's funny. You yeah. know? Like, and if you don't want to go by yourself, let me know. Go, we'll that's come what I'm saying. You. I will come with you. To always. I, and it's like, there, it's so much more important to me to try to, to try to help women understand that like, I, and I really, and people will argue with me about this until the end of the world. Everyone's funny. Everyone's funny everyone's their own kind of funny people don't have to try to be funny so and some people do but you know there's there's something really magical and I hosted an open mic for a little while every once in a while you see really magic things happen with people who to sign up because they're drunk, you know, like, and it's not even something that they want to do. And sure, maybe we're all laughing at the fact that they're inexperienced and they don't know what they're doing and they're making an ass of themselves, but we're all laughing. And, yeah. and maybe the comic who went on before them worked for months and months on some of their bits that no one laughed at, you know? And so I think there's funny is, is not a thing that's shrouded and kept away in a certain place for reserved for certain people. For me, that's like a, it's a, a representation in the media of, of different people, voices that we're not hearing, uh, mm -hmm. different female voices. So like mm -hmm. we are hearing some female voices, but there's so many different kinds of female and voices yeah. to share. And just the LGBTQIA community, especially the T. Um, oh, yeah. We got a lot of the L you know, yeah, that was sort of a natural demographic. Yeah. But there's still a lot of lesbians and, 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 and gay men that have a completely different perspective than what we hear in the media too. So it's like, just, just the others, as I call us, um, yeah. just to, to get those out there because comedians become actors, you know, and right. you start seeing those actors in your movies and on your, all your screens. And mm -hmm. that's how you like 24, three years ago when I had my daughter, she's half Hispanic. I remember being with her father in public uh, with my little family and people looking at us in Wichita, Kansas, strange, just 20 yeah. years ago. And now it's no big deal. It's no right. big deal because why? We, we first saw it in commercials, you know, mm -hmm. and that's how it starts, really. You start seeing gay couples in commercials and, you, and just your every, oh, they do just buy jewelry for each other yeah. and, and cars. Campbell's just, soup. <laughs> yeah, it's just a normal, they do just argue over where to eat. You know, they are yeah. just a normal relationship like me and my husband or whatever. Yeah. So it just normalizes it because it is normal. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just, it just gets that, that that's the whole agenda, you know, the gay agenda. <laughs> yes, that and evil agenda. Uh, yeah, there is an agenda, and that's for the world oh, to yeah. see us as just normal people uh, that have yeah. a valid <laughs> life. Exist. Yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're just normal people that go to yeah. work and argue about whether we're going to make pot roast or chicken for dinner. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not any different. And I have um, some of my favorite material that I want to bring back is about like uh, my ex Caden uh, is a trans man. And so I had this, I had maybe 15 minutes on him that the first 10 minutes is just me and my boyfriend and, and living together and our normal people, heterosexual, regular ass people could be like, yeah, we fight about that. And then I throw it in at the end 
And they're like, oh my God, you've been talking about a trans man this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I really, really, really enjoy that material. But hopefully it, all these little bi kids, these bi boys, <laughs> uh, right when I started wanting to start talking about my queer jokes, they really started in on theirs. And so I was like, now it's going to sound like I'm just talking about this because they are. It's a trend. Years ago. Yeah. You were the only one doing. Yeah. Being yeah. queer is trending. Of course, in Wichita, Kansas, mm-hmm. I am like the token lesbian comedian and I'm not a lesbian. Yeah. But I'm the closest oh. thing that Wichita, Kansas has to it. Yeah. Oh, I'm a 100% heterosexual woman and, uh, I, in Longmont, Colorado, am clearly a lesbian comedian. I mean, there's just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do like women. I mean, I'm handsome. Oh, yeah. So I'm a, yeah, I'm a little I guess that's cute, not, I guess that's not true. I guess I shouldn't really say that, that I, you know, I think chicks are hot, too. Um, and did some college girl stuff, but I don't, I, I, I feel a little like cultural appropriating if I call myself a member of the queer community. Stuff, you know... You have yeah, I'm gonna have to roll. We're way both behind now. No, um, yeah, okay. This is really good. Yeah, it was super Thanks fun. So Thank you. Um, Thank you. This is exactly what I'm trying to do with these interviews. Yeah, um, I like this. So I yeah. do. <laughs> I'm so excited! Yeah. I can't wait. You're gonna be on the festival. Uh, yes. Art of I can't wait either. Festival, hopefully July. July. Yeah. All right. We'll anyway. there. Yeah. Thank yeah. You so let's much. leave it. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, you know, have a great day. And, yeah, you uh, too. I'll hopefully see you soon in person. Yeah, I know. And give me a big <laughs> hug. <laughs>